Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Fast Talk, your something something for the science of endurance sports training. Rob, that's your line, not my line. It's your something something. <laughs> he is something something. <laughs> so we are here with the clown posse again. Oh, wow. <laughs> the insane clown posse. Wow. You know, I like when I show up, it's like suddenly there's this, you know, raucous name to what we're doing. We're the clown posse when it's me. You know, you have some other guest on and it's like, oh, well, this is the expert on whatever. Grant's here. Clown posse. Well, I think that makes you the scapegoat, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly what it is. It's my well, fault. The, the episode sucked. That's because Grant was here. <laughs> you know, I have actually wondered about that if people feel like I'm multiple personality because when you're not here and we're talking with the scientists, I'm like super serious diving deep into the science. Yeah. Yeah. When you're here, it's no. That's no, just a show. <laughs> just everything devolves really quickly. I'm just impressed Rob's awake coming so, back. From Rob, Portugal. I'm awake. Want to tell him what you just did? Woke up and came to work. Oh, when you went over to... If you're a regular listener of the show, I've, I've certainly mentioned uh, Transportugal, and I kind of did it the past oh, you did two it. weeks. You did everything that you could have I done. I did everything I could have done. I missed the first stage, unfortunately. So Transportugal was a eight-day mountain bike stage race from the northern border of Portugal and Spain to Villamora on the uh, southern coast. And uh, unfortunately, an airline who is unnamed but has a major hub in Denver, uh, <laughs> you can look that up if you want, they left my bike on the tarmac outside the plane flying from Washington to Lisbon, uh, despite me pointing it out to the, to the flight attendant. So I missed the first stage. Arguably, getting my bike back was a bigger challenge <laughs> than the five and a half hours I would have spent on my mountain bike. Absolutely. Um, but I was, I was able to do the race from stage uh, two to eight. Uh, so on my Strava. Did you win? Well, I, I, well cumulative time, did you win? No. No, because they gave me, <laughs> they allowed me to stay in like the GC. Uh -huh. But what they did was they gave me the like an eight time. hour time yeah. for the first stage, yeah. which which I, I finished in 90th place because I was like three hours behind everyone else. You hey, know, man, it takes pressure off. Yeah, no, no doubt. But yeah, it was big. It was fun. It was, gosh, five to eight hours a day on the bike. There was one stage that was four and a half hours. And it's amazing how four and a half hours can feel like a rest day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But after what, I guess for me, it was 41 total hours in seven days, by far the biggest volume I've ever done. You know, my body held up really well. And uh, maybe we should do an episode on that. But I crushed and used multiple recovery modalities, right? And in, in terms of what I was doing from body work to nutrition to all of that, I was really on top of it. And, and it's funny, my biggest weeks, I had two 17-hour weeks leading into this, which were sort of the biggest ones that I could manage, especially because of the treatment that I was getting for my autoimmune issues. Right. I had a, an infusion during a 17-hour training week. Nice. And, uh, you know, makes it I like was, a 30-hour training Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was pretty crushed from those, right? When I'm working and family right. and everything else. And a 41-hour week that was dedicated was actually physically easier because it was the only thing I had to worry about. It's amazing. But anyway, that that's sort of enough about that. It was it was an amazing experience. It's probably a once in a lifetime thing. I don't know that I want to go do it again. We'll You'll give it another month else. and, and we'll see. Find something yeah, I know, of course, of course. Amazing experience. Um the race, I mean, in all honesty, logistically, one of the more impressive things I've ever seen. The right. the race organizers 
absolutely Fred and the entire Transportugal team. Um, they, they crushed it. I mean, impressive all around. Very cool. How yeah. old are your kids now? They're 10. Yeah, they'll be uh, 11 in July coming okay, up. Okay, so I got six years. You got six years? <laughs> what, until you can... Until I can just disappear for a week to yeah, race my bike. Two weeks. <laughs> disappear for two weeks to race my bike. Because <laughs> I'm super jealous. Yeah, well, but on the next one, um, two weeks from now, is uh, Finland Gravel. So, But I'm taking the whole family to that. So I won't be an absent father. I'll just be an overtrained one. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just be absent emotionally. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. So, what are we doing today? Oh, well, good question. We're chit chatting. We apparently, this is the. <laughs> this, well, is, this is welcome this, to the chit chat hour. Welcome to the catch up hour. There are more female athletes in endurance sports than ever before. Yet, until recently, female athletes simply followed the advice and protocols that have been designed and tested on men. This is now rapidly changing, and there are a host of experts bringing light to the perils and pitfalls associated with female athletes following guidelines that are male-specific. Check out our latest Craft of Coaching module, Coaching Female Athletes, for expert guidance on coaching women. This is another potluck. So we've got three questions. Grant, do you remember your question? I do remember my question. So my question is, and there's a bunch of different ways to take this, but... As people who work with athletes, coaches, what would your biggest piece of advice be? And and what I'm looking for is like really distill this down to a word or a sentence. For somebody starting a regimented training program or a high-level training program for the first time, like what's the most important thing, right? And I think it's so easy to get lost in the weeds of it. We've talked about this before. You can get into the, you know, what is the micro advantage, right? What's the, what's the tiny little thing you can do, but what most people need is what's the big thing. And it's really easy to miss what the big thing is for people. Obviously I'm bringing this up. So I have a thought, but I'm really interested to hear what you guys think. Everyone's looking at me. So I'll, I'll throw something out there. You guys can agree or disagree. For me, it's, if I'm distilling this to a sentence, it's trust the plan. And I don't know, Grant, if that's going in the direction that you want to go, but it's, it's the direction I'm choosing. I think that oftentimes when people begin something, they expect to see radical changes almost immediately. And sometimes that happens without question. Sometimes that happens, but more often than not, that doesn't happen. And I think that people can become a bit anxious Right. I've been at this for a month. I'm not any faster. I'm getting shelled out of the group ride now. Mm-hmm. I got to do, you know what? I know that Grant prescribed this, but I, I think I'm going to do a couple extra hill repeats this week just to make sure. Sh- no, 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 no. <laughs> I think at some point you have to reevaluate the plan without question. Sure. But the plan takes weeks and months, sometimes even years to be fully effective And it doesn't mean you should do things that are obviously not working well. I'm not saying that, but you do have to give things time before you adjust. Yeah, that's kind of what I had in mind. I think there's that great line from Melanie McQuaid. She once, I remember on this show, it was a long time ago, but she once said that every training plan's the scientific method, right? You start with a hypothesis, then you test your hypothesis, and then you go from there. So you know, kind of what you're saying, Rob, is you got to put the time in to test the hypothesis. And then you come back to the table with the coach and go, okay, is this relationship working A? And if the relationship's working, all right, what do we need to change? What needs to be different? Now we try that. We see what happens. Yep. 
So something our listeners don't know, we actually recorded this. I say this with quotes. We recorded this episode a couple weeks ago. Well, we recorded you and me, Trevor. I was going to say, we we, we recorded two-thirds of the episode, and by that, we recorded a whole episode. I just wasn't, my microphone wasn't turned on. We didn't turn on all the mics. So what I'm bumming about is the fact that I was on my game that day. You think I so? I was really on. I felt that I had, I had right, good right. answers. And last night I was like, what were my answers? <laughs> I should go back and check and went, oh, that's right. We didn't record it. Well, listen, this is what I was saying at the time, that we shouldn't sit down and try to redo it then because we would have tried but to I remake the my answers. You know what, Trevor? Sometimes, so, sometimes you just got to move forward. I'm just going to tell our listeners for the rest of this episode, somewhere in the ether... I have much better so answers. <laughs> wow. You're, you're getting my B answer today. Wow. wow. They're just not coming. See, but I my, choose to think that somewhere in the ether is my C version, D version, and F version. Yeah, this yeah, exactly. is A, baby. This is this A right, is right here. Right yeah, now. This is I'm, good I'm, as you I'm get. a solid B today. So my <laughs> B answer, continuing with what Rob said, is trust the plan but don't obsess the plan. A lot of people, when they, they have that structure plan, they have that target goal, start getting obsessed with every workout has to be perfect. Everyone has to go exactly like it is on the plan. And when a workout doesn't go well, when the power isn't there, when they have to stop in the middle of intervals, they go, oh my God, what does that mean? Am I off course for my target? What that means is absolutely nothing. <laughs> you were just having a bad day. If you have three bad weeks in a row... We got to talk. We got to talk. We got to adjust. Right. But don't get obsessive about that individual workout if it didn't go exactly the way you you think. I mean, I still remember back 2007, August of 2007, I have what I still consider one of my best builds. And every once in a while, I've gone back and looked at my notes for all of my workouts. And it was like, one day I went out to do my intervals and like, did two intervals. Legs weren't great. Turned around little frustrated. Mm-hmm. Next day I went out and did them. My notes were got through them. Power wasn't great, but I got the intervals done. Like if you read my notes, it doesn't sound right, like right, 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 if right, you go right. day by day, a perfect build. But when I look back on it as a whole because I adjusted because I didn't worry about those individual days. It was a great build. Yeah. Well, and day by day is never the way to look at anything. <laughs> right? yeah. I mean, weight loss, right? Right, eat a yeah. slice of pizza. You're, you're three pounds heavier tomorrow because of the salt, right? That doesn't mean that you need to starve yourself today. Pizza, well, hey, you know, <laughs> I'm three pounds heavier, but I have kidney yes. failure. So what does it matter? In <laughs> <laughs> the other side of this, though, Trevor, too, is sometimes there will be amazing days sprinkled in there. And yeah. I also, it's okay. You can, you can hang a little bit of your ego on those amazing days, but those aren't necessarily the truth either. Just like the bad days aren't the truth. We're looking at the overall long-term changes. Yeah, but one thing I do like to say is you can't fake a good day. You have a good day, you didn't get lucky and suddenly your numbers were 10% higher than they well, yeah, normally are. But you can miscalibrate your power meter to a good day. <laughs> sure, sure. But what I do mean, and, and and I've said this to athletes a lot, though, over the years, like a bad day probably has reasons. Sure. A good day, you didn't just trip and fall and fall bass backwards into 340 watts, you know, or that. I mean, it, it it's real. And I used to say this a lot with swimming because it's so black and white, right? You didn't trip and fall and break a minute in the hundred breaststroke. Like you broke a minute, a hundred breaststroke. That's real. Yeah. And you can have the bad days. 
340 watts, man. Grant, your sprint's getting really weak. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. I'm getting old. I turned 50 in a month. Oh, once you're 50, you can't sprint anymore. No, I think it's, it, over. it's a light switch. It's over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like the day of. So I well, hold, on, to- hold on. Wait, Trevor, are you over 50? <laughs> He didn't have a sprint before. No, come on. I wanted to. I'm approaching 40. (laughs) (laughs) He he just started counting. He hit 50 and started counting backward. Right. Right. That's fair. That's fair. We're going reverse now. That was a joke in my family. Uh, River's grandmother said to him, like, we decided you're no longer getting older. No. (laughs) He's like, when does that light switch flip? So my, I, I like those answers. We're all in the same um, idea here. My biggest thing is consistency. So I guess I've just been extremely fortunate that I haven't had that many athletes through the years that missed a lot of stuff, but mm. I've had a couple athletes through the last couple of years where the talk of what they want to do doesn't necessarily match up with what they're doing. Yeah. And there's a lot of days just completely off in the training plan. And to me, whether you're starting from scratch and this is, you know, you kind of, touched on this when you were talking about take your time, be patient. And it's one of the things we see in a lot of adherence issues with people with exercise programs, just in a general population, they'll go for a week, they'll go for two weeks. And then the adherence is gone because they didn't see the changes right away. Or they're, you know, and this is a little bit what you're alluding to, Trevor, they're like trying to knock it out of the park in the first two to three workouts. And they're so darn sore, they can't do the third. Right. So for me, it's kind of combining the two things that you guys are talking about. It's just do the work, be consistent, plan the life around it a little bit, and be honest with yourself, your coach, and the people around you. This is what I can do, and this is what I can't do. And and I guess that boils down to me to making sure that your goal and the path to that goal line up. You know, and it's really easy to say, here's my goal. And here's my, I, what's your path? I don't know. That's my goal. And I think that's an area that working with a professional coach is able to marry those two concepts together. And, and in all honesty, I don't know a lot of athletes that are able to do that themselves. I can't, but that's one of the things that I think is, is really unique. And I don't know about you, Trevor, but it took me 30 years of coaching to kind of be decent at coaching myself. Like I was not good at coaching myself until the last four or five years. And I still make massively dumb mistakes. (laughs) I I still love Dr. Andy Pruitt's comment to me when he found out I was coaching myself. (laughs) He just looked at me and said, Trevor, heart surgeons don't do heart surgery on themselves. (laughs) And and I I, I will say from firsthand experience, Andy didn't fit himself either. No. No. Right. 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 Which is a good, a very good point. Yeah. 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 So I, I think I remember my A answer in the ether because you just reminded me. Going with, oh, look at the, the looking the grand A face. answer. See, I thought this was an A answer for you, us. And we you, knocked you it did. out of the I, park. You did. I'm, I'm just saying I'm, I'm falling behind. So I'm <laughs> going to catch up. To add to your consistency, because consistency oh God, this is, is really, really key. First of all, if you go out to do intervals and they're not in the legs and you choose to come home and adjust the plan, that's not a lack of consistency, unless that's happening every single time. Uh, that's just adjustment. That's, that's smart. The issue that I see with athletes when you give them a plan, and this is where I as a coach go, I don't think I can coach you anymore, is that athlete that will skip two, three days and then go out and do that killer workout <laughs> right. to make up for those right. two, three right. missed days and go, you know, sure, I only worked out twice this week. Mm-hmm. 
but they were both five hour They're days huge, and I right? killed myself. <laughs> right. That's not the same thing. This no. isn't studying for an exam. You can't cram. You got to do the work every day. Yeah. And I think, you know, that's certainly something like one of the things and, and all coaches are different, but one of the things that I really push hard is early on in the relationship when an athlete misses a day and they're like, I just push everything back a day, right? I'm like, yeah. no. no, because if you push everything back a day, then that second rest day is gone. And now we've got five workouts in a row. Correct. You know, we can't do that. Yeah. We are five days where we're training in a row, whether that's volume or intensity. And so that's one of the first things I'm trying to teach when this goes on. And, and I, I use good old fashioned Catholic guilt. Yep. Nope. Can't. Well, that means that I'm going to have like three rest days in a row. You know, you made your bed, man. You got to lay in it, you know, and, and listen, if this was something that was unavoidable, maybe we'll shift the schedule around. But if you're just saying, I just ran out of time, I couldn't pull it off. Then no, we're not going to shift like that because it doesn't work. I think that this is a feature of advanced level coaching. When you go from the individual workout to how do workouts interact with each other, that's advanced level yeah. coaching. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of athletes or basic coaches understand that. And they say, hey, I, I wasn't able to do the workout today. I'll just do it tomorrow. There's no difference, right? Well, <laughs> there is in the interconnectedness of how everything comes together. And there are downstream consequences of changing today. There should be downstream consequences. Yep. And, and in my opinion, that's not a value judgment. That's not bad or wrong, but it doesn't mean that we can just keep things as they are and expect to have the same outcome. Well, and I think the downstream issues are usually fatigue. That's the thing that's kind of hard yep. to wrap your head around, right? Like, well, I just had to take two days off because I was sick yep. or something. So now let's just jump back into it, put all those workouts in five days because yep. I'm behind. Yep. Well, now suddenly you're behind for a whole other reason because you're so fatigued, you're not going to be able yep. to do anything. Yep. So consistency to me is just huge, whether it's adhering, starting a program, whether it's staying in a program. But to me, that seems to be, in a lot of ways, the biggest jump between the very good athletes and the truly elite athletes. And it, it combines the thing that all three of us said. It's just do the work. Yep. It's just you line it up and you just do the work. And you don't really worry about it till we take a step back and look at the big picture. We get it done. Boom, 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 boom. And I, so often I've said that talent in so many ways is about showing up. You know, I... We, I think we've talked about this before, but everybody loves to watch a Rocky movie and watch the 10-minute <laughs> right. workout montage right. and get pumped up and go, oh, that's amazing. But the real workout montage... Boring as hell. Would be boring as hell. <laughs> you know, work was good enough. Hey, I hate to say it. I, I hate to say it, but the Lance commercial where I'm on my bike, the, the mm -hmm. what am I on thing, like, obviously... <laughs> it was a great yeah, idea in hindsight clean, yes. but, but that that's the commercial right if yeah. it's if he wasn't on you know lots of drugs oh, he also was technically on his bike he was on his bike a lot just on his bike with a lot of drugs well, <laughs> while it feels like we're wrapping up this topic i just want to point out that if anybody watches south park the montage clip from south park is the greatest montage i've ever seen so if you haven't seen it i'm sure it's on youtube you do need to go see it, we it's will legit not good. put that in the show notes. oh we really <laughs> should put that in the show notes come on it's a colorado show if rob can find the link yeah. i'll find it i'll get it in there no no question all right so 
My question, I kind of like to do this. This is something I've said on the show. Is this your A question or your B question? Whoa, hey now. It's quite literally my A question because <laughs> I put two questions in there. One's A, one's B, and we're going with A. All right. So here's my A question. This is something I've said many times on the show, but I want us to challenge it. I want us to, to see if you guys agree with this. But I have many times had athletes come to me and say, I'm struggling in races when you get towards the end of the race and the attacks start, I get popped. So I need to work on my top end. And more often than not, what I actually find is the issue is the base fitness is not there. So the couple hours leading up to those attacks, they're sitting at threshold. And so they just don't have the attack because they're too tired when the attacks happen. And I go, what we need to do is have you in zone two, maybe zone three, in those two hours beforehand, so you're still fresh when the attacks happen. So that's my question to you guys, is can you actually improve an athlete's attack by building that base level? I don't think there's any doubt about that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would love to, you know, challenge what you say. I would love to. But I, I don't disagree with it here. I think that we all know it. Like, build time and base is going to build ability like let's simplify it right and trevor gives me a hard time he's like why don't you ever geek out with me I'm like well let's simplify it how efficient are you at clearing right and, and by the way to interrupt i just recently found out <laughs> you have a chemistry degree and you know i have a biology, biology degree, degree and you taught biology i did you can geek out i can yeah and you refuse <laughs> it's not that i refuse <laughs> it's just not that i that's not what i find super interesting about coaching you know, it's like we all go down our rabbit holes of what we like and I like it and I'll spend time on it. But I definitely get to the point with some of those research articles where my eyes start to glaze over. But I can read a research article on mental performance and I'm like, yeah. So you got to kind of go with what you go with, right? But let, I mean, the whole idea is let's simplify it. The more time you spend in base, the better you are, the more efficient you are clearing lactate or, you know, however you want to say that. And you, you're threshold's going to rise up. And when your threshold rises up, we'll talk about this, but the idea of W prime, how many, how much do you have in the tank? And when you raise that threshold level up, you're over it less often. And so you're going into that tank less often. And without a doubt, yeah, I mean, this is, and this is also the difference about who are you training? Are you training a cross rider? Are you training a seven day mountain bike stage race guy? Are you doing unbound? Or what are you doing? Because what you need in each one of those things is very, very different. If you're doing four hour road races, you better raise that threshold up. Yep. Because, yeah, listen, the first hour is miserably hard. This is the mentality of a, of a road race. The first third is really hard because everybody's still fresh. Everybody's strong. You don't get in a race like that without being able to push a bunch of watts. And then everybody gets tired and they calm down a little bit. And then late in the race, the stuff that matters happens and the people that aren't fit are popped out the back. So it's, you know, what can you do over and over and over again? Yeah, for me, anytime we ask a training question, it's, it's about understanding the athlete and the needs of the event. You know, I think that this is where power profiling is really important I agree to, to, to understand what is this athlete's limitation. I, I think that there are definitely times where the rider's aerobic ability more than strong enough for the level that they're competing at and they lack anaerobic ability. That happens. Right. You know, but, you know, Trevor, I do think that 
as a recommendation, more often than not, people are probably deficient on the aerobic side of things. And as Grant was saying before, if we can retain the anaerobic capacity that that person has and build higher aerobic ability, you're, you're sort of layering that anaerobic capacity on top of a higher aerobic which means that ultimately, even all of, even when we're in a purely, ana- I shouldn't say purely, it's never purely, but when we're in a dominantly anaerobic workload, you're all in for a minute trying to establish right. a break. That is now 50 watts better than it used right. to be right? because your aerobic ability is higher. You know, and Trevor, I think that getting to the root of your original question, if somebody is floating around threshold, they're getting a little bit of recovery, but they're also dipping into that tank just to maintain that pace. So there is a bit of depletion. There is fatigue. And that fatigue actually goes beyond. They're using more carbohydrate. Their Mm -hmm. glycogen stores are lower. So all of their abilities are coming down. Uh, They probably have more metabolite byproducts, so on and so forth. And so that person that's been doing this at primarily an aerobic workload, they're at a better potential. They have their full potential left ahead of them. And even if their anaerobic ability is slightly worse, they have all of their anaerobic ability ahead where this other person, and this is where I am, I'm an anaerobic monster. Right. But half the time, my anaerobic tank is half empty. So it doesn't matter that it's a big tank. It's not there anymore. Yeah, and I think one of the big pieces, too, that comes into that is, like, how well can you recover once you dip back into the aerobic? Yeah. Like, if we're if we're t- simplifying it, right? You know, okay, that it eased off. We dipped, okay, we're going 250 watts again. Can I recover? Well, we all know this feeling, and the science is there behind it, but we know the feeling. If I went over my limit too many times, when I finally get that chance to recover, I ain't recovering, man. I'm just like hanging on for dear life. I do think there's one thing that a couple pieces that I would throw out at this. And one of them is I do think there's a purely technical piece of the jump, the idea of the Mm -hmm. jump, especially when you're riding. And, and, And that's cadence and just how you pedal the bike in general. I think you're watching people more and more often now riding with a very high cadence because that high cadence allows people to react much quicker, right? If you're riding at 75 cadence, 80 cadence, and the group goes, you're not going to be able to accelerate the way the people that are riding at 90 or 95 cadence can accelerate. And now that has a bunch of downstream consequences, right? The the musculature of the legs is is being asked more of that. You're going to have to respond at a higher level to just maintain that same speed. So I... You know, this is something that I'll work into a lot of the training plans is we're going to do the muscular efficiency work, work economy work, however you want to say it. We're going to do high cadence work. We're going yep. to do high cadence holds. And we're going to push those guys to ride and girls to ride at a higher cadence all the time. You watch Cross now and you watch the the freaks, you know, Vanderpool, Van Aert, Van Aert and Pitcock. And how they translate now to the pavement. Dude, those guys are riding at 90 to 95 cadence on the dirt. Yep. And they and now they go on the road and it's constant. You know, you watch Van Art going up the climb last year at the tour, and he's just tick, 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 tick. It's really, really impressive. And I do think that gives you a whole lot of help in that regard. Yeah. I would I would agree with that. So I want to present the counter argument. To my point, and that's actually what motivated this question. So several weeks ago, I was doing a race here in Boulder and 
I'll give a quick bit of background. I've really been focusing on threshold work this year, um, simply because, unfortunately, due to my AFib, more often than not, in a road race, I have to pull out. So I decided, you know, that almost never happens if I'm doing a 20, 30-minute time trial. So this year, I'm just going to focus on time trials. It's something I can do. So I've really been working on time trial form and got my threshold way up, got that aerobic side way up, been doing no work on that top end whatsoever. And so I was in this race. You were there later on. So I got in this breakaway with another rider right at the beginning. We were away for about an hour. And I could tell my aerobic system was was stronger than his because when I was getting on the front, I was sitting at threshold. I was sitting at you know, what I could sustain, I thought, for the rest of the race. And he kept going back down, back down, ease up. So, And he wasn't taking it as hard a pull. But on this course, there were a couple of these 30-second steep hills. We would get to that, and he would drop me like a bad habit. Mm -hmm. And I finally had to say to him, you got to stop doing that. (laughs) You got to back down on that hill because I'm working for you. We'll work really hard and the rest of it. But you just saw that difference. And ultimately, it came down to when we got caught after an hour was just before one of those 30-second hills. And another rider attacked from the, what was left of the field. The guy I was with had that top end. He right. was able to go with that right. and stay in the breakaway. I got caught. That was it for me. Yeah. But this comes back to, to Rob's statement about power profile. Yeah. Right? Um, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to look at this. But I do, I do feel like the majority of the athletes that I get, if I look at their power profile, it feels like people want to become time trialists like they they gravitate towards mm-hmm. that place and i have my argument for that while i think training peaks is a wonderful tool training peaks gives a lot of love to volume and threshold because you can put a bunch of time under load in those things and so tss goes up through the roof yes if we do short high intensity workouts siler was talking about this on an episode that went up a couple weeks ago right if you're doing short intense up training sessions it doesn't catch up. Yeah. It can't really see it the same way. I have a sprint workout that will you won't be walking for the next two days. Right. And it's like 50 TS. You're right, right. So I think we as coaches and athletes gravitate towards that place. And we do forget about the ability to create a top end. And my big piece of why I like to train in that 120 or 150 percent with regularity with my athletes isn't necessarily about creating the jump. It's getting them comfortable being in that place. Yes. How does the body feel when you're in that place? And how does the mind feel in that place? Like, I I think it's really, really important. I love one-minute intervals on the trainer. People think I'm nuts. But what you have to do to do one minute at 120 to 140% of threshold on the trainer is be in a big gear and turn it over. Mm-hmm. And it's a different feeling when you're in a large gear at a 90 to 95 cadence, ripping that thing over. You're not grinding into the pedals. It's just like, tuk, 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 but you know, there's a load and it's, it feels different with the body and the mind, man, having to be able to sit in that place. It really, really helps. And so I, I'm the intensity guy, you know, that's kind of what I get because I like to live in that world or I like to go in that world but I don't go there for long. Yep. You know, one of my big workouts with people is three, two, one, you know, three minutes at 110, two minutes at 120, one minute at 150 or over, 
with applicable rest in there. And we'll do two to three sets of that. But that's 12 minutes above. Yeah. You know, that's 18 minutes. Up. That's a lot. You got to recover from that. But it's going to do good things for you. One of the best workouts I've seen for building that ability to be on those attacks, and I agree with you, I think it's more mental than physiological, is one minute on, 30 seconds off. And yeah. you repeat that six times. Because first time you ever do the workout, you do that first one minute, you're going hard. You're going, oh, this isn't too bad. And then you start going, okay, this is really hurt. And then you're going, oh, my God, this is unbearable. And you look at your timer and you're only 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got another 40 seconds to go. And you struggle through that first one minute. And then that 30-second recovery just feels like nothing. Oh, it's, it's gone so fast. Uh, Neil, they turned it into a Sufferfest revolver. Mm-hmm. Minute on, minute off, and you do 16 of them. I love that. Yep. And it's that same idea. But one of the things – now, this comes back to one of the other things, though, and I think this is really, really important. I remember – and I'll, I'll bring it up. You know, Max Chance, one of the guys I used to ride or train back in the day, and he was a very good cross rider, had a moment in, in road where he was very good. Max said to me one time, he's like, I try to – I go off the front and I attack – but nobody ever comes with me. So I'm always solo mm. and I'm out there for a little while. And then I just, I get caught and popped. And what I started to figure out was Max's top end was so damn high. Yes. Nobody could go with him. A. And he was going so hard and he was comfortable going so hard because he was a cross rider that he was digging the big hole. And I remember Neil used to say this all the time, the bigger you shovel, the bigger hole you can dig. So when we're talking about those workouts of a minute on minute off, we're not asking for a minute at everything you got. See how many you can do. And when you fall apart, you call it a day through all this is at 120%. This is be smart. And you probably will finish number 16 going that sucked, but I could do more. Yeah. And that's the thing where you're going to start to get that repeatability over and over and over again. The last thing I'll say on this is when I look at a cross power profile, like a power graph after a race, I'm not looking for average power. I'm not looking for any of that. I'm looking to see what happens to the peaks Mm -hmm. because the peaks come at the same point in the course every lap. And for the most part, you have to ride them at the same effort every lap. Do those peaks drop or do you have the slight U when they come up at the tail end? Mm -hmm. I want to see that U. That tells me that the repeatability is there. Yep. And that gets to a good point. Just a, a quick tip for anybody who's interested in trying to break away. You want somebody to go with you, you got to dangle yourself. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. can't yeah. get too far in front of the field and understand majority of the time it's the field that's going to catch you, not one or two riders. So you're going to have to make multiple attempts before you get that ideal scenario where you dangle yourself out, one or two guys jump up to you. And then the group of you tries to ride away from the Well, field. and the last piece to that is remember that you're usually not going to go away when you feel good. Yep. You usually have to attack when you feel pretty crappy or kind of tired because that means the rest of the group's not going to chase you. Yeah. I want to round out this conversation, Grant, by touching on something that you mentioned when you were talking about Max. And that is he felt really good going that hard. And that really resonated with me because... That's something that I dealt with this entire past week in Portugal, (laughs) right? And it wasn't about people attacking. It was a mountain bike race and they were very long stages. There was oftentimes that I was riding completely solo out there, but the stages, you know, we're talking seven, eight hour long stage. 
the attacks for me were the steep climbs just, that were forcing me to you go still gotta hard. get up it right exactly up. you know and i i spent a lot of time you know I, I i set a plan for myself if it's flat or a slight incline i'm just riding at base sort of all day if it's if it's a, a true climb then i'm riding just at sub threshold and anything i have to go over threshold i'm going as easy as i can just to move up that grade right and and that's meant I spent a lot of time holding myself back at God, yeah. 350 watts, kind of nose on the stem, just crawling up the steepest climbs that a lot of other people are hiking. Yep. I wanted to be at 425, 450. And, and I'm somebody, when I'm doing these workouts, Grant, oftentimes a little bit harder feels better better yeah, than absolutely. a little bit easier oh, does. Absolutely. You, you know, I, I hate that sometimes. Threshold it's, feels better than tempo all the time. Especially in erg mode. It's <laughs> like, if this was just 3% higher, I would be in, I'd be in my comfortable place. But for an event like this, I wasn't able to be in the place right. I wanted to be because repeats of those at 450 would have trashed my legs. Yep. And people need to recognize that about themselves because in this long race, it is about the repeatability because I have 35 more of these steep climbs <laughs> to do today. And I need to be able to go at the top of this climb. I have to be able to go right back to 200, 225 watts at base. And because that's how I'm going to get the fastest average speed. I go 450 and I have to take 30 seconds of huffing and puffing at, yeah. at 150 yeah. recovery watts. Yeah. That's not fast. No. And I caught a lot of people because kind of of this race craft feeling good, pushing hard over the top, getting up to speed before the downhill. Suddenly I'm 10 miles an hour faster down yep. the downhill and I'm flying by people that I probably could have caught on the climb if I had gone all in, right. but I wouldn't have been able to maintain my speed over the course of the day. Super so. short comment. This is where I think people really misuse the power meter. You know, we train with power meters. We all know what our power is. We know what our threshold is. We know what this is. We get in the race and we throw it out the window. Mm -hmm. Just throw it out the window. I mean, I did a gravel race not too long ago and we hit the base of a two and a half hour climb. Essentially, we were going to be climbing for two and a half hours and people are just dropping bombs yeah. and they're going nuts. Yeah. And I'm like ticking away at 280 going, all right, well, we'll see if I'm just there that much fitted me. And, and in the and second hour of the climb, yeah. out the back nuts. So let's finish out my question with uh, giving Grant a gift. Going back to that race I did a couple of weeks ago, you encountered me on the way home. <laughs> <coughs> yeah, we. I was out. I, I couldn't do it because of uh, my son's lacrosse game, and I'm rod, doing a training ride, and I come rolling up with – I was with Eric, and I come rolling up to Trevor. And I, I don't think I've told you this yet, but we're coming up on you, and I'm like, oh, that looks like Trevor. But they're going so slow. <laughs> I was – maxing out at 130 <laughs> watts at that point we rolled up said hi couldn't really engage trevor in much of a conversation and i was like i felt like uh, a dumb and dumber well yeah. big gulps huh <laughs> see you later <laughs> we rode away and and i don't even know if i got much of an acknowledgement it was just like yeah. you gotta understand you came across <laughs> me when i was maybe a mile from home <laughs> And I was doing the calculation in my head if I could make it. <laughs> I just wanted to know. I would have put. I would have put the tow rope on you, man. I would have hauled you home. Oh, that was that was that was pretty classic. You were in the box. I loved it. I was deep, deep, <laughs> deep in that box. 
Hey, Fast Talk listeners, this is Trevor Connor. Wouldn't it be cool to decide what Rob and I are going to chat about on an upcoming show? Or how about we answer a question on polarized training you're dying to know? What about a 30-minute Zoom call with Rob or me on your favorite sports endurance topic? This is all possible when we become a Fast Talk Patreon member. We have four monthly membership levels to fit your level of support. If you enjoy Fast Talk, help us stay independent in dishing out your favorite sports science topic by becoming a Fast Talk Patreon member. You can join us at patreon.com slash podcast. All right, Rob, what's your question? We are science-y people for the yeah. most part, right? The, the tagline is your source for the science of endurance sports performance. That's what you that that's the tagline. It is. Yeah, believe where it or was not. that at the beginning of the show? I don't know. You were like something something, blah, 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 whatever. But I'm gonna I'm gonna admit something, listeners. I, I have a confession to make. Sometimes I don't really pay attention to science. And sometimes I do things that the science says you probably shouldn't do this. And so I'm wondering from you guys, are you in this same boat? All of your decisions, do you have rational scientific reasons to do what you do or is there evidence against your choice but you know what you still do it because to you you know it works i do everything by the book i never make any mistakes (laughs) you can tell by my appearance (laughs) Um, no dude i'm a train wreck Mm -hmm. this is what i was saying earlier about trying to coach yourself it, listening to your own brain is one of the most difficult things on the planet because your own brain can rationalize any dumb crap yeah, that absolutely. you can think of. And you get to the tail end of it and you're going, well, that was just idiotic. What was I doing? And I'll, I'll give you an example of this. Now, to answer your question more specifically, I'll come back to that. Sure. We have we have that point. But last year during cross season, I had a good start to the year. Things were going well. Got to Fayetteville for the World Cups with the guys, mm-hmm. and I did the middle race in there. Had a good day. Came out of it. All my cross riders had a week off after the Fayetteville World Cup. Off the bike to get ready for the second half of the season. I went home. I rested for about two days, and then I started training really hard yeah. again. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to really rad two weeks later or three weeks later, and I got an ear infection. And then I got another ear infection. And then I got RSV. And then I got da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And by the time, all that was a throwaway. And I got to Thanksgiving and said, well, screw it. You know, whatever. Started, you know, took a bunch of time off, drank some beer, had some fun, ate some turkey, relaxed, trained a little bit, went into Nationals, had my best finish ever at Nationals. Mm -hmm. And in retrospect, I can look back at that and go, Duh. I mean, that makes complete sense. If I'm asking professional riders to take a week off and I go home to family and work and when I'm on the road, I'm working even if I'm racing. Yeah. And, you know, I'm doing all that stuff. Why did I need less time off than they needed? I mean, it's just dumb. But you get caught up in, I mean, for a lot of us, if we're still racing at our age, it's because we like the competition. We like to push ourselves. We like to challenge ourselves. And in a lot of ways, I like training more than I like racing. I love to train. But I got to remind myself, is this make sense? Is this what I need to be doing? Especially when I'm training a bunch of 20-year-olds and I'm nearly 50. I can't do what they do. And I got to remind myself of that. Yeah. Don't tell yourself that. 
There's absolutely no sign saying at 50 you are slower than a 20-year-old. Nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. That that That's my answer for you. <laughs> that's your answer to Rob. I ignore science and the fact that 50-year-olds are just like 20-year-olds. <laughs> you will not prove me wrong on that. <laughs> Fair enough. Says the guy with the heart condition. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Trevor, what about you? What do you do that spits in the eye of science? So everything. <laughs> <laughs> this is another case where I can't remember my A answer, and it's really bugging me. We didn't me, do so it. I'm gonna we go didn't, with, we didn't make it. We didn't make we it. We got partway through. No, nope. I thought we did. I think this is when we stopped last. So time. he answered the question. He asked the question. I looked up and went, "Oh, yeah. so we are breaking new ground, listeners." Yeah. Well, so still. I know there's something better in this, but my B answer is, because everybody's heard this from me, I believe in the five, six hour ride. Yep. And there just isn't a ton of science behind that, mostly because it's really hard to study the five, six hour ride. It's much easier to study interval work. Wait, Trevor's doing what I do. The science sucks. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever the I science this, I disagrees do this with yeah, me, yeah, the yeah. science yeah. sucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your point? Yeah. <laughs> That's just, that's just, duh. And again, you wonder why I'm not married. <laughs> <laughs> wow. No, wait a minute. No, we did do this because I remember my A answer. Power cranks. Oh! <laughs> that's right. We got into this. You're power right. cranks. Oh, my God. I Holy Jesus. I love my power cranks. I use them all the time. Oh, this episode just Every ended. Every study on power cranks has said oh. No. But I still believe in them. Rob and I are doing the same thing we did last time, which is like vomiting. What the <laughs> hell? Power cranks. All right, all right, all right. Power cranks because most people don't know what power cranks are. No, for, most sane people don't reason. know what power cranks are. Power cranks are the left and right crank arm are not. They are able to freely rotate. Meaning, if you push down on, of one another. exactly, if you push down on the right crank arm, the left crank arm doesn't automatically come up. So when you get off the bike, they both hang straight down. Yes, which is just wrong. <laughs> and and the thought is because you're pulling up, actively pulling up your leg, it is improving the mechanical efficiency of the pedal stroke. But we all know that the physiological efficiency. Goes down dramatically. There's a lot of science that backs that up. Oh, there's, yeah. Oh, yeah. These things are murder. <laughs> so, look, <laughs> tell you a couple. First of all, here's a clear benefit. I had a friend who also there's had no power benefits. Cranks. No, no, hear me. He out. had a friend, and now the friend is gone. Yeah. He's trying his to life make is the simpler. friend insane. That would be like beneficial. No, he chose power cranks on his own, but he did. It was because he saw me using them. So he had power cranks. He was overriding in Europe on his power cranks, stopped at a store to get some food. Somebody tried to steal his bike. <laughs> and because you have to clip into power cranks, they couldn't steal the bike. So there is a clear benefit. All right. All right. Wow. Yep. Okay. Yep. I'll give that to you. I can't argue <laughs> That's a with win that. right there. Yep. I did have another friend who seen me on power cranks all the time, tried a set of power cranks. He bought them. He and I went out for his first ride. I almost had to push him home after 45 minutes. <laughs> I believe it. Because he was in so much pain, and he sold them after that. Hell yeah. Oh, my God. Does the company still exist? Yes. Really? Yes. And they still produce them. What? Yeah, we're going to get a cease and desist in a second. What? Here. I know, right? Yeah. Uh, wow. Hey, you know, try them try for yourself. Maybe they're great. I, I will say... 
other than like a, a parking lot spin, I have never ridden power cranks. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe they're God's gift to uh, to improving on the bike. I, I doubt it, but maybe they are. You another, should try it yourself. Another benefit is people see me riding them. So look, this is a ton of fun on the bike pass. As you're passing a commuter when you're riding power cranks, you wait until you know you're just in line of view with them. And then you do two pedal strokes with your feet in sync with one another. Like a dolphin kick. And then immediately of, uh... go back to the regular stroke. Love it. And you can see in their face, they're like, did I just see that? <laughs> I love it. What's going on? Love it. That is a benefit. All right. Wow. But So seriously, the claim benefit, which the science disagrees with, is that it teaches you to pull up on the back stroke right. until you get a smoother stroke. That's just not true. But... My argument for the benefit, in the whole pedal stroke, the weakest muscle in the whole stroke is your hip flexors. Your hip flexors are only really designed to be strong enough to lift your leg. So if they try to do more than that, they're going to fatigue pretty quickly. So if you're in a good, hard, long race, the first thing that's going to fatigue are those hip flexors. And that's when you hear athletes talk about, I was pedaling in squares, That's because what's happening is the hip flexors can't lift up anymore. So even though they can't put power into the upstroke, they can no longer lift the leg, which means your leg is now going to rest on the pedal and the leg pushing down now has to lift the leg coming up. And that leg weighs 40, 50 pounds. You're going to lose power. Power cranks strengthen those hip flexors, prevent them from fatiguing. So what I found is when I do power crank work, that point where you kind of crack and, and you just start pedaling in squares, that never happens. Are you riding? This is another episode of Fast Dog <laughs> brought to you by the Power Crank sponsored Trevor Connor. I am not getting paid a penny for this. When, when you're riding your power cranks, tell, tell me, how are you integrating this into, into your training? Uh, are you, you doing, still ride them? Yes. Do you have them on a, a special bike? Do yes. you, are you riding them every day? Are you doing workouts? Are you just riding base? How are you incorporating this oddly, oddly <laughs> broken bike component you're, into you're, your daily regime? You're going to enjoy this. I have them on a dedicated bike. It's a 1994 Sandvik titanium bike where I actually snapped the frame in half and had it welded back together. Nice. So this frame itself, if you look at it, it is a Frankenstein frame. With a set of power cranks on it. It has box section Mavic wheels on it. (laughs) It probably has colored Hutchinson tires. Um, The bar tape is that, like, that splattery black and yellow. I'm going with yellow. No, no, no. Black and blue on the left, (laughs) red and black (laughs) on the right. You're running it moto style on the brakes. Uh, There's toe clips. There's there's regular. There has to be. See if you remember this. That's right. The brakes are RX100s. Nice. Nice. That's the throwback right there. I haven't even heard of those anymore. Wow. Does it have a frame pump? Yes. Of course it does. Yes. I'll be the first to say this. It is the most me bike ever. Down tube shifters. I love that bike. If somebody came into my garage and stole all of my bikes, including that one, that's the one I would cry over. And nobody else in the world would even dare put their leg over that frame. No, and and this is Trevor Connor's entire garage answering your question, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> what do you fly in the face of science? <laughs> Moving on from the you know power cranks, just I have totally destroyed Rob's sinkhole. question. 
<laughs> but I, that that no, that answers this question brilliantly. It does. Frankly. It does. In fact, I think we all do. And I and, and I'll you know I'll say this as a coach. I will often ask my athletes to say, "Listen, if you have something that you've always done, it's like that workout, that session, that makes you feel good. Tell me. And if it's idiotic and it really is going to hurt you, we're not going to put it in. Sure." If it's one of those things that, you know, this isn't really going to hurt you, but it's not really helping you, yeah, we'll do it. Get the confidence up. Feel good about what you're doing. And, I mean, use science to guide it, right? Like, I know a lot of people, when they're doing something like, say, unbound, they want to try to cover that distance before they go to unbound so they, they feel comfortable that they can do it. Okay, let's not cover the 200 miles, but let's do back-to-back seven-hour rides. Yeah. Right? So Mimic that the we work. Feel yeah. like, you know, so how do we cover the time or yeah. how do we do those things? So I think there's a lot of that stuff that is it perfect in a training plan setting? No. But does it give you confidence on how you feel on the bike, that your hip flexors are solid, that you can do what you need to do? I think that's what's really, really important. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, probably a lot to tell you the truth. Um, but what inspired this is exogenous ketones. Ah. There's, you know, there's been a lot of talk on various forums right now, um, reviewing research and, you know, the research is equivocal at best and, and at times it detrimental to performance because of, uh, maybe some GI distress or yeah. whatever else. Yeah. Um, but ketone esters, have worked well for me. Yeah, you've said they make you feel like a rock star. It's it's incredible, to tell you the truth. And I'm willing to concede that it is a mental thing, not from a placebo effect, but more from a, my mood greatly <laughs> improves, right? It almost feels like an odd sort of shot of caffeine or something like that mentally, to tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't actually use them in in Portugal. I had enough with me that I could have taken them on stages uh, if I want to. But I was also crushing 500 calories an hour. Don't mess um, with that. Yeah, and, and I didn't necessarily want to combine the two of those in the middle of nowhere in Portugal. <laughs> I, you, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I was not able to prepare for something like that. And, sure. and race day wasn't the time to try it. But I did do exogenous ketone esters every night before bed because there is a bit of science that says, hey, maybe this is worthwhile for recovery and improving performance. And I don't know. I mean, I recovered really well and and life was great. I'm not going to say that that was the ketones. I can't say that that was the ketones. But I'm on the internet, I feel like oftentimes sort of defending them and saying to people, you have to give it a shot and see if it works for you. Now, the downside is you can certainly have some GI distress from yeah. this stuff, but the major downside is they're expensive. It yeah, is they're a really commitment yes. to do this. And and part of me doesn't want to believe that they work for me. And that's what it is at this point. I think it's a belief that it works for me because I'm shelling out some cash. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is, I just... It seems like it does something. I'm not going to lie. Well, let me say this about science. And this is... Which is a general statement about science? It's a general statement about research. Okay. That research does not and is not able to take into consideration how varied individual human beings are and how they react to a lot of different things. Yep. You know, we can sit here and talk about... There's a lot of research that talks about people that are fast responders to training and people that are slow responders to training. We know these things. And this may be why I like 
the uh, mental performance side of things a little bit more. We don't really take that into consideration when we sit down and we bring six people into the room. Sure. The variability of what you're going to get in that science is actually pretty huge. We're trying to boil things down to generalities that we can use. And a lot of times we can boil those things down very, very well because you do double-blind studies with an individual and you get that information. But there's so many things out there that you need to be comparing apples to apples. And so often we're comparing apples to oranges or nectarines or whatever you want to go down that road of. So I do think it's important for people to recognize that. And this is the last piece I'll put to that. It's all a combination of mental and physical. Hmm. There's a reason placebos work. And so we have to get comfortable with some of that uncomfortableness. We want answers. We want to know this is what it does. I might not do that for you. And that's why I think there's important pieces. Yeah, great. I think that you make a really, a really terrific point. And this is where oftentimes looking at the individual results, if a paper includes them, and oftentimes they don't, you can have an intervention. I don't care what it is, a, a placebo, a supplement, a, a training protocol, and uh, half that group can say improve by 20 watts. The other half of the group can get worse by 20 yeah. watts. But all that's reported is that there was zero, because when you average plus right. and minus 20, you get zero. There was zero change in performance. But here's the thing. That intervention was very worthwhile for half that right. group and very not worthwhile right. for the other <laughs> right. half of the group. And uh, that individuality is is really important, which is why I always suggest to people, try that. It might go against the grain. Here's the thing. It might not uh, have any benefit for you, but if it's unlikely to have a deleterious effect or it's un... I know, every once in a while I, I drop words that you don't understand, Grant. <laughs> <laughs> if, it's un, if it's unlikely to do harm to you, you, Grant... Thank you, thank you. That was then, then there's kind of no reason not to do it just to see... Well, I'll piggyback on this real quick. And I think recovery modalities are really big yep. in that, right? There's a lot of science that says that the ice bath doesn't work in terms of improving performance. But what does it do for your ability to sleep? Because lower your core body temperature. Maybe it turns on the parasympathetic nervous system. There are things that could then have a downstream effect that are incredibly beneficial yep. for you. Does it just calm you down, right? And, you know, a lot of people get on the foam roll. I'm not a big fan of foam roll. I think people foam roll way too hard. We could get into that, but it might not be the act of rolling. It might be the time given to rolling that's self-calming and slowing down and all of those things. So how do you say it's not the rolling? It might be the rolling because they wouldn't do that otherwise. So I, I do think that this is a really important question for people to ask themselves of what do I do? Like you said, is it hurting me? No, it's not hurting me. Then it's probably helping you because you feel good when you're doing mm. the power cranks. <laughs> they do so much good. They would hurt me. They do so, I don't so much them. good. <laughs> so look, I'll, I'll kind of potentially finish this out with just one warning. I remember a, a guy who I rode with for a bit who had a ton of potential, could have gone pro, wanted to go pro, put the time in, but never did. And he failed for one simple reason. He had it in his head that if you did what the science said, you weren't thinking for yourself and you weren't going to be successful. And he used to get on my case all the time. Like I would say to him, 
why I was doing what I was doing. It's like, hey, you're, that's just what the, you know, all the coaches say and the research says. You got to think for yourself. And so he was out to make a training plan for himself that was unique because it's not what everybody else does and it's going to make them that much better. Yeah, you can't beat people doing the same thing they're and, doing. And, right? <laughs> and he failed. Yeah. So remember, yeah, try these things. Find some things that work for you, but science is going to get you 90, 95% of the way there. Don't start thinking, oh, well, that's what the science says. Forget that. Yeah, that, and that's by no means my intention with this. Yeah. I just think there are a lot of variabilities in there, but this is why you need good guidance. And one of the things that I love is to find the connection between what the sports scientists are saying and what the coaches are saying. Yeah. Coaches are out there doing it on a daily basis. They're finding their own quote-unquote research and anecdotal information. And then look at what happens in the lab. How do you combine what happens in the real world and what happens in the lab? Find the middle of that Venn diagram and go with it. There you go. Well, did we answer them? I think we did all right. I think we gave answers. We have. We learned more about, again, <laughs> you know, one of the things I love about this show is the insight into Trevor Connor's mind. <laughs> <laughs> and it the, is the a whole, dark and strange place. The whole power Are you really... You're really certain you want to go there? There's a whole other crevice that I just got a peek of with the power cranks thing. There's just like self-hate. So can I just say, I actually asked the founder of power cranks. I was pretty sure I did a nine-hour ride on power cranks. I was pretty sure it was the longest ride ever done. And he told me it might be the second longest, but there was a guy who did longer. How? This what? is what killed it. This guy did it. It was a charity event. Right. He did 24 hours on a trainer Holy on power cranks. Crap. He better have raised a lot of money. money. On a trainer, too. That yes. makes it worse. I don't know. It makes it somewhat better. I mean. No when, way, dude. Like a, they're, a, because when they're both it, hanging down, at least you're no, not. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. The height of power cranks was back in the day. Right, it wasn't. It wasn't yesterday. No, which means these were like old oh. Cyclops mag trainers very good with point. very low inertia. Very good. Yeah. Point. So you're you're huffing that thing up and over the top of every it, pedal. It stroke. had to have been painful. Can yeah, I say, don't stop. My nine hour ride was a blast, and for one reason, my hip flexors didn't crack once. They cracked twice. They discovered <laughs> there was a deeper level of crack in your <laughs> flexors. My God. Uh, this has been Fast Talk, an insight into the dark recesses of Trevor Connor's mind. For more information on Trevor Connor's mind, please refer to Trevor Connor's mind. Yeah, the thoughts and opinions of Trevor Connor's mind are definitely his own. <laughs> and be careful with Trevor Connor's mind. Once you get in there, you may never get back out. What does it say that I'm making fun of my own mind? What, what was that? What was that show? It was set in the Pacific Northwest in a hotel. It had this sort of supernatural ending. Um, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. I feel like you know how like Twin Peaks got really odd at the end, and they're like going through <laughs> at that the was like end? curtains. That's yeah. like Trevor's mind. At yeah, this point. yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. That was such a great Actually, show. I was I going go through my head. It. I started watching Barry. A week ago. Barry. And I'm into season two, and you were talking about the deep crevices of my mind. I'm like, ooh. That, that, there's some insight there? I, I, yeah. I don't know All that right. these are crevices. I think they're crevasses. <laughs> <laughs> 
deep, dark, and scary. Oh, boy. And that was another episode mm. of Fast Talk. Subscribe to Fast Talk wherever you prefer to find your favorite podcast. You guys haven't interrupted me nope. yet. Nope. Just do it. Be sure to leave this us is, a rating is, and a review. Over. The thoughts and opinions expressed on Fast Talk are those of the individual or apparently the deep crevices of my mind. As always, we love your feedback. Tweet us at, at Fast Talk Labs or join the conversation at forums.fasttalklabs.com. Learn from our experts at fasttalklabs.com or help keep us independent by supporting us on Patreon. For Grant Holicky and Rob Pickles, I'm Trevor Cotter. Thanks for listening. <laughs>